0: I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Nice to connect with you. Uh, I don't know if you can hear. Can you hear? I got my puppy in the background. He's chewing on his bone there, so I'm not sure if that's making it the, the
1: background sound. That's all good. My Both my dogs might end up doing something like that. Okay. I was I thought it was
0: important uh, my puppy, Winston, to be here. He's my assistant strength and conditioning coach, so I might have to refer to him for some answers.
1: <laughs> that's fine. I'm, I ended up doing the same kind of thing with one of my dogs during quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after like every lift, turn around, she's sitting right there and tries to give me a high five.
0: Yeah, I think it was like Cressy Performance where they talk about, they're like, one of their number one assets is having a female greet you when you come to the gym with a big smile and leave with a big smile. And I'm like, man, I'm gonna one up that and get a puppy. And that's <laughs> what, so when people come in and they, they see your puppy and they're like, oh my God, this starts as a, such a good experience right out of the gate. Uh,
1: so um, I'll have you introduce yourself. Um, I know I've kind of been talking you up with everybody that uh, I've been dealing with because this is for me, like my biggest talk. Uh, I've looked up for you for, for years. I know we've connected before a while, long while back. Um, so it's kind of funny to see this come full circle.
0: That's yeah, great. And I appreciate the kind words, man. So yeah, I, I've been in the volleyball space, I guess, since I was 11 years old. Um, that's when I kind of started playing volleyball. I had two older brothers that, that played volleyball. So that that led me in the direction. I was one of those like nerdy kids that was like very obsessive with volleyball. So I would take my, my skill train. Like I'd bring this big, stupid yellow volleyball up to my room and I would just hit the ball into the wall for hours. And I'm like 11 years old. So I guess that's where my roots started in the sport. I actually had my most success in beach volleyball. And uh, I early on at 13 years old, I partnered up with a guy named Adam Pitstaka. There's three brothers, all three of them played on our national team. And, had like minor world tour experience. So I played with him from when I was 13 till I was like 20. And when we were 13 years old, we started playing against like adults and older people. So we get bullied around on the court. we get beaten up and destroyed. So we're playing against all these older athletes, but I think it really allowed us to adapt and move that needle in our development. And that really kind of helped propel our beach volleyball game. So long story short, I was in the beach volleyball space. I played up until I was like 26, 27. I was an undersized beach volleyball player that played on our national team. So I had to be good at the little things like being strong and dynamic. Um, I also played indoor volleyball at York University. Uh, I played in our provincial team system out here as well. So, And then after that, while I was playing a uh, beach volleyball profession, I was also coaching a lot of beach volleyball athletes doing my like, private training. And I've always kind of been coaching at, while I was an athlete as well. And then when I transitioned out of volleyball, stopped competing, I immediately transitioned into coaching indoor volleyball and started kind of my strength and conditioning career. And so I've kind of been around volleyball six or seven days a week ever since I was 11 years old. So uh, I have a lot of experience in the space and kind of a a multi-dimensional experience in terms of like, you know, I've played the game, coached the game, trained athletes in the physical space. So yeah, and that kind of leads me to now, which is a strange time because, you know, um, you know, out of the athlete training facility, the athlete makes where we train all our athletes, obviously I'm not doing that anymore. Restrictions in Ontario where I'm from, from is still pretty severe. So everything we're doing is still from at home. We can't get in the gym
1: yet. So we're itching to get back in there and to be able to put in the work. Yeah, we've, we've gotten pretty lucky down here in the States. Um, I'm in South Carolina. So uh, for anyone watching outside of here, it's – we've – gotten very lucky with our rules, like our, our guidelines, like I can have, I've, I've got my limits to about five people for every hour, um, for training sessions. So it's kind of like, I think it's five every thousand feet, thousand square feet, something like that. So we've, we, we've been very fortunate to be able to start up now. Um, and I know a lot of my athletes I've made, you know, very strict, um, we'll say requirements for training, even during quarantine, um, had, uh, had equipment at home, was able to use my garage, but it was very one-on-one basis and still, you know, six feet, you know, follow the parameters, but yeah, it's, it's still, it's still very strange. I've got, I still have kids that their parents are still not sure. And I mean, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to get them back in. It's kind of hard to provide that for them sometimes. And I mean, I'd see all the stuff that you're putting out with the uh, online, um, all your online training, all your, uh, well, you had a four series um simple movements for uh you know at home workouts and you know all the little things like that it it really does help
0: yeah, absolutely. Like any way that you can kind of move the needle on educating the volleyball community, I think is really important because volleyball is such a fast growing sport. I think in the United States for female volleyball, I think it's actually the number one sport and surpass soccer in, to- in terms of total participants, which is crazy. So it's a fast moving sport, but as so many more athletes are playing the game. You're always trying to catch up with the number of coaches coaching with it in the game and strength and conditioning. So any way that, you know, we can educate more coaches whether that's strength conditioning or volleyball, coaches is the better because in the volleyball space we're really just one big team right and i'm also heavily involved i guess in the baseball space as well the athlete matrix in our facility we're the number one uh place in our country for baseball development and i see how much further ahead baseball training is than volleyball training because there's so much more research done in the baseball space than on volleyball space so they need experts like you and i out there you know helping educate that community so we can just kind of move volleyball up that ranks in terms of knowledge. So we're
1: not playing catch up to all these other sports. Yeah. Um, I know one of, one of my biggest thing is just doing my own little research here and there and um, kind of just listening to everyone I can. And, you know, it's kind of the main reason for doing things like this right here is, you know, I can bounce ideas off of you and, you know, you do the same with me. And then, you know, you have people, especially in the comments and watching that ask questions that maybe we don't think about, or we get to kind of run through different, um, Scenarios Um, like my 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 first biggest thing um, and I'm going to come back to a couple other things I have written down um, was there's a video and I can't remember. It's been so long since I've watched it uh, and it goes over what's called the X factor between the the angle of rotation from the hips to the shoulders within uh, baseball pitchers. And the uh, it goes over why the Giants one of the Giants starting pitchers, uh, Tim Lincecum can throw so fast at his size of, uh, I think he's only 5'10", about 165. But it goes over the combined angle of rotation, uh, bet- like how he uses his body to go from what, you know, your his stride length is what looks like nothing compared to most 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", you know, uh, MLB pitchers. But how he's used his body is so efficient. And even though he's loose, he still stays strong within his spine and within his core to where he's able to drive the ball down into uh, strike zone without having to worry about, you know, overusing his rotator cuff or, um, you know, any back spasms or any uh, hip injuries. You know who's a, a
0: good example of exactly what you're saying in the United States is Taylor Crabb, the beach volleyball player. He's short, mm-hmm. he's tall, he's skinny, but he can still get up there and absolutely lay into the ball because he's got a great, what do we call a connected rotation, which is very similar, you know, making sure the shoulder blades retract and our hips are open and we can have one kinetic rotation into the ball. So he really optimizes his energy well because I think if you put him through fitness testing, you'd really realize he's pretty weak, right? But yet he's go up there and able to lay the hammer on the ball and get a nice bounce. So obviously technique and biomechanics are absolutely huge, right? So people ask me all the time is, Reed, how do I improve my vertical jump? Well, there's three ways. Okay, one is getting technically better at jumping. Like obviously you improving your body mechanics, your joint positioning, that's gonna allow you to get higher. Often if I get a volleyball player and I take them to the vertex, the jump thing to test that, like I can normally change their max touch. It's the first time I see them by two to three inches. And just mm-hmm. teach them how to optimize their footwork a little bit. Some of that's a little gimmicky because just changing the position of where they jump often gives them a couple more inches. That's why I don't believe in the guys that like show this vertex and show they gain six inches in one day. It's like that guy was just so bad at doing it that it's like, that's why they improve. So one is technique. The other is, is, is strength. And this is like, obviously super important for most athletes, just moving the needle on be able to innervate your muscle fibers more efficiently, be able to move more weight from point A to point B, you know, strength is so important. So you can optimize your power. So that strength and power goes to the next one. And the third one is kind of going back to what you were mentioning with uh, with the throwing you know it's both technique but it's also mobility and so mobility is indirectly important now this isn't for all athletes because i work with a ton of female volleyball players that are hyper mobile doesn't matter for them but for the athletes that are excessively tight you're not able to create the positions to optimize your technique so mobility indirectly affects these things where The hypermobile female athlete, you have to train them completely different. Like you're doing a ton of mobility and flexibility training. You're just increasing the chances that they're going to tear the ACL or have an overuse injuries, right? They're able to create all these shapes, and they're able to get in these positions excessively with all that extra range of motion. For them, they just have to be so strong in their position. So, yeah. So, I, I really think people trying to improve their vertical jump, three aspects, right? One, technique. Two, strength and power. Three is mobility. And that will go with the same thing with speed. You want to get faster? Well, you know what's going to fit in those three areas. It's the same thing. I want to hit harder. You're getting technically better hitting is going to allow it. you getting stronger, more powerful is going to allow you to hit harder. If you don't have sufficient mobility in your shoulder, your thoracic spine, you know, that's also going to affect your attacking mechanics. So those three buckets can cover most skills in sports to get a lot better. I mean, there's other things like reaction time and other variables, but those are three really key ones.
1: Yeah, um, I know. I, I know with with mine, I kind of train train my girls um, a little bit more like football players in a sense, just with their linear speed and their reaction. Um, and the big thing was is I I, I use they use the combine sometimes, and like the guys that go to um, like a pre school of speed and stuff for their their pre combine and their pro days. Um, and I always get the same look. It's like, oh, it's that, that confused look. Like, why are we talking about football? And I always go on, like, you know, they they hammer down their posterior chain. And if you really want to move, you want to really want to like move fast and get from A to B, and that could be five feet, fifty feet. You know, you got to put power to ground. And if you can put power to ground, you can get there. And the same thing will transition into your approach, like you're saying with that strength. You know, it's I was watching your talk with uh, Mark burrick i believe uh diagnosing the, uh, martin Reader. he's a 2012 beach volleyball olympian
0: he was fun fact they they always thought he was the most jack fittest guy on the world tour when he was playing just just a little food for thought there
1: so i was watching that and it was really interesting to sit and diagnose because i hadn't i've never looked at an approach like how you guys were talking and to really i've, I've always worked on staying a square you know, having having them go through a certain amount of rotation, it's not always a, a set guideline. that's meant you have to go through 85 degrees. You have to go through 90. You know, it's always I'll just stay open and then stay open, stay open, stay open. And, the you know, same like you were saying, you know, some of the big pro players, they have a lot of strength in their shoulders so they can pull through the ball. But, you know, the moment you – and you guys, you know, he was going back and forth with the clip – and saying how, well, the moment they open their feet and then they start rotating the hips more, then you see less shoulder work, less scap work, and more to be able to pull through in place. Then you've got more time. Um, what's been the biggest help for you with coaching female athletes to get them to move move faster? And I, I think I think it comes with confidence to let them know that they are strong, regardless if they can squat or deadlift or press, whatever, however much weight. Um, What's been the biggest thing for you that you found success with, with having them move through it confidently, jump confidently, and then swing through and finish?
0: Yeah. Um, So when it comes, like, start, and as you were mentioning, it starts at your feet, right? The way you plant your feet before you take off determines the position of your hip, which determines the position of your arms to attack. So if your feet are wrong, your arm swing is going to be messed up right? And so I'll I'll retract here. So the things that we often work on initially to improve their jump technique is it's more block style training, which some coaches are against, but we really break down how to optimize the footwork, right? So the second last step of your approach is the most important. That's what we call your accelerator. So that second last step, is supposed to be very long, right? If it's long, you now can accelerate, right? Your plant foot, that foot now has to be hit here, here, and then you can jump really high. So optimizing those positions first is really important. But the thing that these athletes don't know is they don't know the positions they need to get into to properly jump because people aren't breaking down their approach at a granular enough level. So to start off, we work on the last two steps of the approach that's extremely important. So those last two steps of the approach. And then before you take off the ankle of your feet are different based on what position you're attacking from, the type of set. So it's really important. So say I'm a left side, I need to be really open to my setter. That means I need to plant my foot on more of an angle so I can naturally open, right? So the more you plant your feet on an angle, you're able to transition a very fast approach into a very high jump, right? So you're very vertical. And that's what you want when you're attacking the front court. But say you're hitting a spin serve, right? you're going to cover a ton of difference because you want to jump and jump into the court as much distance as you can, much like attacking on the back court, Your feet are actually going to face more forward because the more forward your feet are facing, the more horizontal distance that you will cover. So it's really important to have your athletes, if they're trying to optimize their approach so they can attack better, is to understand the positions of the body that they need to create based on the position, the type of ball that they're playing. So that's the first layer. And I mean, we often just work on, the approach for without jumping so we'll start say we're right hand we'll just start with our left foot forward and push and load just push and load just two steps getting a really good spot create a lot of distance and speed and then we work on the timing with our jump so our arm drive with our jump so we kind of connect those parts together then we start working on our three-step approach and then once they have the knowledge of it it's not like we keep the volleyball away from we start getting things more live where they're getting a ton of repetitions but the thing is you can't get uh, an attacker feedback when they're attacking unless they understand the sequencing and the processes there, right? So I often like to give athletes one technical focus, right? I want to tell them accelerate in your approach or earlier arm drive or one little thing at a time, right? But if they don't learn those positions, because attacking a volleyball is one of the most complex athletic skills in the world, right? So it needs to be broken down and have an understanding so that when I give them words, where they're doing more live-based training, where they're hitting off volleyballs or in gameplay scenarios, they actually understand what you're talking about, right? It's kind of like when you're working with a passer, right? And you're like, create your platform angle to target. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? I don't know what that means, right? If you don't take them to things and show them what these things that you're teaching where there's cues really mean it's really hard for them to learn right so i think it's really important to have very well established cue words that they can feed off of right so for me and when they're approaching it's like faster drive harder earlier arms right foot angle right those little cue words and when those mean make sense to them like one cue word at a time that's where you start seeing improvement right i
1: know with um i mean my biggest thing is to To add in things like that, but not just at the young age, and still do it all the way through a professional career. I know even even you know college players nowadays sometimes don't go back and work on those small little basics. Um, I know I've watched you work with various Olympians, uh, international players, where you will do just footwork, then maybe add in bands, work still on that footwork, keep it explosive, keep keep those first two steps big, like you're saying, and then add in. And I'm, I'm, I train roughly, we'll say kind of the same, um, where I like to break things all the way down. And if, like, the, big, the first big thing for me is a lot of these kids, I see their first step always goes negative. So it'll go backwards when they try to go forward and maybe play a short ball or try and react. And that for me is where you have all those components that I think are kind of interchangeable in, in sport. I mean, a lot of a lot of footwork and a lot of agility work can be kind of transitioned through a lot of different sports. That's why I love, I love dealing with soccer players who transition over or, or volleyball players who want to transition to soccer or who play both because their footwork, you can give them, just like you said, you give them those cues or you can put them in drills and you can now maximize that movement. And then you can maybe, it doesn't have to be complex, but you can start adding in more things and maybe accomplishing more goals within one movement. Um, I know my biggest fight is, you know, those keywords is is with the younger players is establishing those keywords where I know sometimes in their high school, they, they don't, they don't get that, that depth. And I think it's, it's very rare to see it in high schools nowadays where they actually get in depth with movement and Mm -hmm. you start putting it on strength coaches. You start putting it on club coaches, you start putting it on, you know, private lessons and, you i sometimes have felt like pressured like i don't have enough time i don't have enough time like how much i I try and maximize every hour i have with somebody or every session i have with somebody and i tell them look you know you might be getting frustrated just because this is brand new you've never been told you you know you were unaware of it and it's not a big deal but let's let let's make the most out of what we have instead of worrying and you know going it's one step why can't i get it why don't we just look at it as We're making this step better, and you're now taking another step beyond your competition, and now you can handle maybe a heavier load, more stress, more reps, and you can start competing with people who are two, three, four years older than you and hold your own.
0: No, absolutely.
1: And, and that's like for
0: me, we work with a lot of, of young volleyball so we work across the spectrum, like at our facility, we have like literally like a thousand plus volleyball players that that train there. I'm partnered with like eight different volleyball clubs where all their athletes come in there and train. so we get them and I'm also work with several of our national team athletes, so I got them right down from twelve years old to the national team, and working with these younger athletes for me, I, I like working with younger athletes the most. I don't mean to offend any of my athletes if they're watching that are older. It's not that I don't like working with you. I just don't like working with you as much. But no, with the younger kids, the reason why I like it, because my number one focus is I got to get them to work hard and have fun at the same time. And that's the toughest combination because what will happen, a lot of these kids in school and in phys ed class will have a fitness component and they'll make it either really easy and boring or super tough and militage and they hate and resent fitness. So the younger athletes, the first thing, sure, I want to give them keywords. I give them a few, but I try not to make it too cerebral. And then I just want to show my puppy in here. What's up, buddy? Oh, they can't quite see you. But anyways, yeah. So I try not to make it too cerebral, not too much thinking. I try to create the exercise and the drill to have a purpose to teach something within that, right? So say you're doing some cone drills, right? And you have to do a change of direction. Maybe you have to do something. The drill can often help teach that instead of me just barking at them, cue words the whole time. And then when you move up, so now you got like athletes. So say they're like, 16 to 19 years old and you can start training a little bit harder and you know they're looking for the next level maybe they want to go play in the ncaa or a canadian university national team whatever it is that's where you can give them a lot more cue words, be a lot more hands-on, really try to push their needle on development and really get them to the next layer. And then the next layer that we have is like the NCAA, the, the professional type of athletes. And with them, training them is actually super boring because when you get to that high level of an athlete, it's not like you're making these massive gains anymore because they're so much closer to like their athletic potential if you want to use that. So for them, it's much you have to be much more razor sharp with your programming and understand their energy levels and the recovery and the other layers. And with them, it's like, I see them. So Sophie Bukovic's a good example. She won the U21 world championships for beach volleyball. She's a three-time NCAA champion. I, I'm working in training with her. When I see like a movement dysfunction or like a little iffy part in her approach, it's kind of like, well, do I want to correct that? If I try correcting that, I might take, make her take a step back, right? It's the same thing as um I was working with uh, there's some of our top sports science guys Uh, In Canada, I work with our our sprinters, our our Olympic sprinters, right? And one of our top sprinters, he's one of the top sprinters in the world. He's got a weird arm, like it's mechanically off, but he runs some of the best times in the world. They're like, well, do we try and correct that pattern? And we might make him make two steps back and actually make him suffer. So it's kind of finding that line when they get up to the professional level where just little things to correct, but try not to overhaul things and make sure they're super healthy and physically developed. So I, I don't know. It's, it's just different at each layer. So, you know, the younger athletes make it fun. You know, the middle-aged athletes train to make big changes. The lead athletes make sure they're healthy, improve on what you can, but don't change their stuff that much. Yeah, and that's
1: – that's I mean, I, I see kind of the same thing with some of the – like the 17s and 18s when their 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 motor patterns are all but set. And it gets very hard, at least harder, I'll say. not Not truly difficult, but a little bit harder – to fix an entire swing mechanic or fix an entire footwork mechanic uh, without them buying into it and wanting to do it. And I know with the young kids, sometimes, like you said, it looks like something's mechanically it it works, but almost like it's out. And if you can get it to be as functional, we'll say, or say as efficient as possible, and it's going to benefit them more Rather than like you're saying, taking a whole step back, two steps back, and then having to build it back up. Like, do we have the time? I mean, that's that's one of those things. I'll, I'll take that risk with the high school athletes, but even with like the college athletes, especially some that have you know have had injuries or something uh, in that joint or around that joint, it's one of those. You know, I'd rather kind of let's let's move forward. I don't want to compound it, but let's try and make the best that we can maybe shave off a little, you know, shave off and, you know, smooth some edges here and there. But yeah, it's, it, that, that, that is one thing I don't think a lot of people realize with uh, some of the stuff that we have to do is there's, there's a risk assessment here and there. And it's not about, you know, the weight that the athlete's moving. It's about our choices with their physique and their mechanics. Um, what was, uh i I, mean you have talked before and you know i've i've looked into your past and stuff and uh when you were playing at you know what 16 17 years old and so you said you were undersized the what was the biggest thing for you to get you to move up to the next level and then start competing
0: I think it was actually getting, like, real expert coaching from the physical training because I was always incredibly motivated. I had no problem outworking the other athletes when I was young. I was just doing the wrong things. I was, like, I was going for a really long run. So I have all this extra energy – I'm going to go run 10 kilometers, right? And I know that's dumb for a volleyball player because if you look at the physique of a long-distance runner and you look at the physique of a 100-meter sprinter, you know, you see a big difference. A 100-meter sprinter is super powerful. So once I started getting some expert, like, coaching, that, that moved the needle so much for me. So my background, when I was probably in grade 10, grade 11, I probably weighed 140, 150 pounds, not even six feet tall yet. I'm super weak, but I think you'd call me very skilled at that age and that's where I could compete at the top. So up until I was 16 and 17, we were only playing beach volleyball locally in Canada. And to, in our age group, we were, to be honest, we were beating down everyone. We would win a uh, national championship for our age and older age groups. So we were, we were up there. But then, I got lucky enough to represent Canada at the U18 World Championships. So this is our first time playing internationally, right? And this is going to be what I think is like, okay, well, let's see where we actually fit in in the world. First thing I noticed when we went went to the World Championships, all the European dudes were all like 6'6", six, 6'8". Six, six, and they're like monsters. They're strong. You can tell that. Either they've been training already or they're just more biological. They're they're just further down the chain. They're just more developed than I am. And so this was my first real, like, it sunk in where we're like, wow, we're – well, we ended up finishing fourth in the world, which was pretty solid. But what we realized is the teams that we were just beating is, like, we were more skilled than them, but they're out – physical they're more physical than we are we actually um so our first game we were so nervous we were playing against France and we lost our first game within five points I wanted to give my beach partner a high five and I poked him right in the eye That's <laughs> giving him a high five so we had to call a timeout because I poked him in the eye and and then I remember we're going back and like his dad was, like, frustrated, and this is just hard. and I'm, like, so nervous. So we ended up losing to France, and that was a team that we should beat. And we have to finish top two in our pool to get out. So we had to play Germany our next game that just finished second in the European Championships, and we went and kicked their ass. We went in there. We just pumped up one game. This is make or break, because we have to win this one in order to move on. We beat Germany, then we beat another team, and then we have to play USA. We play, uh, I don't know if you know these players, uh, Mark Van Zwieten and Joey Dykstra the first round of playoffs. And once again, they seem more physical than we were. we were. We ended up beating them in a tight three-set match. I think they finished second or something like that, the Junior World Championships, or it was one of the Vans we ended up someone else. And so like they had on the side, so we had to grind it out for them. And then we got in the semifinals. You know who we played in the semifinals? We played Kubiak, who is the captain of the Polish national team, left side, and Bartman. Bartman's now retired, but he was one of the best right sides in the world. These guys were animals. They're warming up. They're bouncing balls in the stadium. I'm going up there, approaching our massaging cut shots. It's like so different. They're so much more physical, right? And when we were playing them, this is the semifinals, junior world championships. We almost got to the point where they were fist fighting each other. So they were getting so frustrating us because we couldn't like go up there and just destroy balls We're chipping balls around. We're not making stakes. We're keeping it under control because they just assumed they're going to crush us. Right. So the first set was like ridiculous. It was like 24, 22, super grind of a match. And they ended up beating us. But they were so frustrated with each other after that first set that gave us a competitive advantage in the second set. We weren't able to pull it out, but we ended up losing to them. But that was a very humbling experience because I saw my physicality was so far from where they were. When I got back, I was so motivated that I started training really, really hard. My thing was, I was I'm not at the time on our national team radar. So i still, still too weak, too skinny, don't jump high enough, blah, 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 right? And so this is now, I guess I'm end of grade 11, starting to grade 12, that's where I really started moving weight. And from grade 12 to halfway through first year university, I put on about eight to 10 inches on my vertical which is significant for me, because now I'm touching international height or beyond, right? And I'm this little guy. Now I can't be counted out anymore. Now when I go to national team trials, they're like, well, he's touching as high as the six, 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 seven guys. We can't use that against him. Oh, you know what? He's smaller. Now he can out-defend these players. You know what? Let's give him a shot on the national team. So I always say this. If it wasn't for strength and conditioning, there's zero chance of me making the national team. There's zero chances I could go play in those different areas, of the world that I got to play in. So that's what really lit a fire into my butt about the Of strength and conditioning, right? If you're a smaller athlete, don't complain, don't whine about being smaller. Find areas that you can make your competitive edge. Be the best server on the court, you have full control of that. Be the best defender on the court, be faster, be stronger, be more dynamic. You make things your competitive edge because there's lots of outliers there, both in indoor and beach volleyball. More beach volleyball than indoor. But if you're motivated and small, don't use small as an excuse. Find the things that you could do to make yourself an outlier. And so those are some of the things that I think is important.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had um, – when, when I was playing in college, I actually uh, played with this, one, with this uh, one girl. She was about 5'5", five, 5'4", five, five, but had a 40-inch vertical and played with the guys, played on the guys' net, and she was someone physically you didn't mess with. And that was one of those things, just like saying, didn't, didn't hold her back, she didn't care. And I mean, I've met plenty of girls that they are either in an attacking role or in a defensive role where they have that mindset. And it's perfect because it's as a coach and as a, you know, as a strength coach, it's so much easier to push them. It's so much easier to show them where they can go, what they can accomplish because they already know it in their mind. Like they don't, you don't have to fight with them. You don't have to go through the process of showing them. And, um, I know the biggest thing for me is I'm, I'm, I don't hold anybody's hand. Like it's, you know, I'm I'm gonna give you the tools. Uh, maybe at first, if we're if we're going over stuff, and I'm teaching you mechanics, you know, basics, basic squat, you know, all the kind of we'll say one on ones. But after that, it's one of those things. I want to see you come in and ask. I want to see you bring questions. I want to see that drive, that intensity. And I know for a lot of girls, um, you know, the the weight room is a very intimidating place sometimes. Then when you start showing them, hey, you can do this with a bar in your hand. You can do this. You know, you can move this fast. You can you can be this agile. And then they start going, okay, okay, all right. This is the, this is starting to pique my interest. I like this. And then you know when you start, I, what I found with some of the girls uh, is start showing them on film. Like, hey, you know, l- let me record this. You know, five ten five you do, or this sh- this uh, shuttle you do. And I want I want you to watch your reaction. I want you to watch your footwork. I want to, I want you to watch your hip position. And they go, oh, you know, I can fix this, or this doesn't look right, or you know, my my shin angle is not right, or you know, at that point for me, it's okay. I'm doing my job fine. I'm doing my job how it needs to be done. They're learning. They're picking things out, and it it's just keeping that progress going more and more and more. And I know for for me, it's. I want to see them comfortable with themselves when they're in there doing it. Like, I, you know, I shouldn't have to be there yelling at them. I shouldn't have to be there doing anything. If, sorry. if, uh, if uh, just, just lap dog.
0: Yeah. He's uh, just,
1: sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, I shouldn't have to get on you. And so that, that's, that's the awesome thing to see that is when they come in and their mind's already set. You know, you have those athletes. It makes, it makes your, your day as a coach so much easier. And then it kind of just lights everything up for you. And then, you know, for me, those days are always a lot more enjoyable. I love it a lot more. Those training sessions, even though we might not get through a lot, um, for me are so much more informative. I feel like the athlete learns more. They make much more progress, a huge amount of progress in a small part, which then adds to that pyramid, And you know, it's where they can peak.
0: No, absolutely. I love that. And you know what it is? It's the thing that you do such a great job and what you're just talking about. It's like you understand you as a coach. That's really important. And just having an understanding of what your style, what you move through, how you talked about, you know, earlier on with the athlete, maybe it is a little more mechanical one-on-one, but you know, you want to move away from that because it gets really boring for the athlete and it gets, it gets to be a lot to consume. Right. So I, I think that's incredibly important. Question for you. Where are you guys based with again? Where are you guys doing so your training? You're in, are you in Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach, okay. Okay. okay I love it. Okay, so you don't have cold winters out there like we do, eh? Like seven mm-hmm. months a year is just brutal, man. It's just like seven months a year; it's frigid. You don't want to go outside. You're, you got people are depressed, like, geez. So right now with COVID nineteen, we went through winter to being like isolated. You're stuck at home. If like we don't get out and like have like things normalized again until September, it's gonna be like one year of like just being like trapped indoors. So I'm really hoping things pick up over here. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I moved, I moved down from, from Pittsburgh about three years ago. Um, that because. was big, is I wanted to get away as <laughs> I wanted to get away from, uh, kind of that same thing. Um, I was never, I was never really a snow or winter person. I was always a, a beach or water person. So to transition down here, I mean, I I gave up the, the indoor scene, at least the, the competitive side of it, but I got to access at least it myself, in this area to try and pioneer a little bit more with uh, a more unique style of strength and conditioning, coaching, um, bring a different attitude to the area, just new thoughts. And, you know, I've just like everyone has, I've had my bumps in the road and, you know, it continually shaped me and it made me think of my feet a lot more. It made me, you know, problem solve a lot faster. And, you know, I've, train my I've changed my training style a couple of times and it's every time it changes and maybe it's not a huge overhaul but every time it changes it's one of those things where it's you know is this more efficient than it was before? And that's kind of the question I ask myself all the time um whether it's on a daily or weekly basis, monthly, yearly, um between strength conditioning and coaching club, you know, am I efficient with the time I'm using how far can we get in two hours? How far can we get in an hour? Um, it it really comes down to kind of like what you're saying, especially when you get towards the high level is your programming. I mean, Mm -hmm. I try and write out my practices. Uh, I try to do it a week in advance. Um, I try to write out my workouts as far in advance as I can. And my biggest thing is I also play to the athlete a little bit. I I know I played it. I, I know, probably a little bit more than most strength coaches do. Um, I'll leave like one or two exercises here and there and say, Hey, uh, you have a bad day. You want to slam something? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, okay, well, what do you want to do then? There, uh, Let's do uh, rotational slams. And I said, okay, we can do that. Um, or, Hey, you know, I'll, I just want to lift something heavy. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll do uh, trap bar deadlifts, um, you know, or we'll do hang cleans or we'll do snatches something. So it's, that's where I kind of have my fun with it and I get them involved because I don't, I don't, I don't want to be that person that just continually says here's your paper or here's your lift, do it. And it keeps them kind of wondering, Oh, well, what are we, what are we doing this week? You know, I I still keep kind of a guideline from week to week, um, but they still don't know what's going to show up more or less. No, absolutely. And uh, you, the
0: thing is, is like, as a coach, your your most important assets is your ability for the people to like you that you're training, right? Like, you need to always have a good jo- joke in your back pocket that's, like, critical. And, like, you always got to be able to, like, you know, okay, things are weird, make them laugh, do something like that. The relationship that you have with your client and the way that you articulate your words and express yourself – it's so critically important. The same here is saying like, you know, you know, they want to throw med balls today. Well, if it's not going to detract or anything, let's throw some freaking med balls. I know when I am having a terrible day, I love chucking and smashing things. Like you go in there and you know, throw some med balls and smash some stuff in the gym, you know, that, that's, that really helps me out. I want to like, um, so I was thinking about this earlier and then Winston, my puppy distracted me. Um, some mistakes that I made especially when I was working with a lot of younger athletes, this would have been, I'm saying like seven years ago. And this was when I was uh, like, I was coaching volleyball. So I was being a volleyball coach. And so at that time with these younger athletes, I was always like trying to fix their approach mechanics and their arm swing mechanics and their speed and agility, the way they change directions. But you know what I realized is when you're weak and you're young and you're like kind of flimsy with your noodley, the thing is, is, you're always compensating because you're so weak, right? So if I want to speed up their approach, they now can't decelerate the movement properly and transition that into a smooth jump, right? So that, the reason why that athlete's younger is approaching slow is because they're so weak and they can't decelerate forces, right? And it goes to so many other skills. So say like you're on defense, you're pushing to base, you can always see that kid that's kind of still moving. You know, they can't decelerate with their glutes and quads and their core right? So one thing that I really find with younger athletes, if you get them stronger, you're going to notice the technique of the skills that they do look a lot better. And I mean, that's not for everything, right? If the athlete doesn't open up properly when they're attacking, getting stronger is not going to fix that. But it might if you're throwing med balls and teaching mechanics or throwing baseballs and doing other implements that work on those movements. But I just think coaches at a young for younger volleyball, they don't focus enough on simple basic strength training, just getting them a little bit stronger and notice their technique is improving more so than you overcoaching them and making it super cerebral and barking at them all the time. So me going back then with those younger athletes, I would have focused more on strength and just not give them just so much information all the time. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's it is it is one of those things I know Uh, and that makes perfect sense because I know I've made, I, 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 am still fixing that in myself. Um, which is, I think, thank you for saying that because that helps me out a lot to fix those little things. Um, I know now, especially when I have the athletes, I do have in the weight room that also play club, um, whether for me or for someone else, I, I watch them. And that confidence and those movements, like just like you say, when you start strengthening your hips, you start strengthening the lower part of your body and then you start developing that internal feeling of, okay, now I need to start moving this way right now in order to do this and that. Then it does, it translates without having to tell yourself I have to do it. It just translates automatically. And it's one of those things that it's it's hard to explain that I think to some athletes because it's not, it's not something that you just flip a switch and it happens. It's just, it's that, you know, compounding day after day after day of training within the right parameters, within the right time. And then all of a sudden they have that, that flashlight moment. And to me, there's two things I love, the, I love the most about coaching in anything and teaching in general is to watch the gears turn Oh, I'll say three things to watch the gears turn in someone's head when they're trying to figure things out two, when they figure it out and they come up with a different solution than what I've previously done. And then three to watch them communicate and try and just go through trial and error. Mm-hmm. So it's it, for me, I love the, the um, fail and learn process the, I love the trial and error process and I know I have kids that when they start doing certain things, regardless of what age, and um, they'll – a lot someone will laugh because they're nervous or they, I look stupid or I don't feel like I'm doing it right. And I look at them and I'll say, look, I make an idiot out of myself every day in some fashion, somehow. Mm-hmm. I said, if I'm not failing, that means I'm not learning. If I'm not learning, then I'm not the person that, I, that you should be working with. You know, and especially as a volleyball coach, um, you know, if 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 I'm not if I don't already have three four things staggered in front of you after you accomplish this within the right jumps, like within the right movements, um, or sorry, not movements, progressions, um, a- am I doing my job? Like, you know, you for what you're paying for, you're you're not really getting the quality out of what you deserve. And obviously, it comes upon the athlete onto how much they're going to absorb, can absorb, and then utilize as fast as they're able to do it.
0: No, one hundred percent. No, I fully agree with that. Uh, Winston, my puppy, you're still distracting me, but good little boy down here. He, he's love one more little shot of Winston here. Sorry, he's got this is his big moment to be a big deal. Winston, look in here, buddy. That's you, buddy. Look how happy he is. Sorry, but. This is, sorry. I just thought this is like a good time to get some Winston, some new followers and stuff. No, just kidding. Okay. But something that <clears throat> I know, there's, there's a few things that I think is super important. So uh, I actually work with four NCAA programs. I do all the programming for their athletes. They're on our app. I, spe- I individualize any, everything and I do the same thing in Canada with some of our universities. I work with the clubs and through consulting with a lot of these coaches and there's some mistakes I really see often made with the athletes. Like, listen, If your athletes are doing more plyometric training outside of practice relative to strength training, they've got it completely backwards. Every time you play volleyball, it is a terrible plyometric workout. You do more jumps than you're supposed to. There's not adequate rest time. There's a ton of stress and breakdown in your body. If you want your athletes to jump higher, don't have them jumping more or like extra outside of practice unless they're the jumping is with a purpose. That's going to make them better. So I get like coaches, like coaches messaging me that coach, like, 14U, 15 year girls are like, what's a plyometric program you give to my kids? I'm like, listen, your kids are so weak that they have all these overuse injuries just simply from playing in their club tournaments in your practice. And by adding more jumping, not only are they not going to jump higher, you're also going to increase the amount of injuries. It's And the, the saying I like to say is a lot of coaches try to put a Porsche engine into a Honda Civic. And what I mean by this is these weak, frail bodies are trying to speed them up and be more powerful. Listen, strength is your foundation. If you wanna jump a lot higher, you have to get a lot stronger so that when you're doing your plyometric training, it actually transfers into more power, right? And so I think that's a big mistake that plyometric training gets confusing. And I think when I do plyometric training with our athletes, because I do have the younger athletes jumping, but it's more like on a, a technical movement. This is how you jump, this is how you land properly. And then we get drills that will help on certain mechanics. But doing monotonous jumping drills, like constant hurdle jumps, hurdle jumps, and just monotonous jumping is just delaying recovery. And this was a mistake I made a little bit going along when I was earlier on as well. It was, once again, trying to speed them up too much when they don't have this sufficient strength. It's even like this for a lot of the university athletes. Like, especially you have these super skilled, I, I'm more thinking like the female NCAA player. She's super skilled. She's excessively mobile and she's super weak. The last thing you want to do is have that athlete jumping more, you just want to simply get them way stronger, right? There's something cool to categorize the way that you train the athletes to jump higher first. So we do a few different tests. So you know, you got a so if you put your hand on your hips, and you have them sit down to squat, if you jump as high as you can, that's really like showing the forces that they can put in the ground, right? If you now you allow them to snap down and jump, now it's showing a little bit more of that stretch reflex, right? If you have them step off a box, like a drop jump or a deficit jump and jump, that's even more showing the stretch reflex. So what you'll find with a lot of athletes is they'll have their hands on their hips, they'll load, they'll jump, right? And then when they can actually absorb and come down, they'll only jump a little bit higher. And then when you have them step off a box and jump, they're not even jumping as high as that. That means the athlete should be doing no extra jumping because they're too weak and they're not responsive enough, right? So it's understanding that. So say it's someone that's loaded and they jump really high, but when they do their approach jump or anything like that, there's not a big difference. That doesn't that means they don't have good stretch reflex. It's not like you know if I'm gonna create momentum, I'm gonna pull a slingshot, slings back and explodes. They don't have that. Well, they have to use their sheer strength where you'll get other people on the opposite. So I was on the opposite side of the equation. So at my peak, I was six feet tall. I was touching 11, seven and a half with my approach, but my block touch was pathetic. If I'm in a static block position, my jump was pathetic, right? So I wasn't able to use my big muscle groups well, but if you allow me to build momentum, I can do a really efficient transfer of energy, right? So I needed to train the variables that accommodate that, right? So I get a lot of NCAA players and I'm like, We've worked with our strength coach for the last three years. I trained so hard in the gym, I front squat 185, and this is like a 5'11 female. So that's like heavy. And she's like, I haven't gained any inches to my jump. And I'm like, it's because you need to understand the speed strength continuum, right? If you're really strong but slow, you need to do more speed plyometric based training. But say you're very fast. You jump pretty high. You want to jump higher, but you're super weak. Guess what? Doing more speed and jump work's not going to let you jump higher. You need to do more strength work. So once you can start categorizing athletes and putting them in the appropriate places of the things that they need to work on, it really moves the needle. So for instance, with my university teams that I work with, the, there's little individualized programming in there beyond this, but they fit into one of four categories. So the athletes fit into four different programs. And it's not position by position, it's body type and physiology that determines what kind of group they're in. And then you make little adjustments. If this athlete has jumper knees, we just switch out. This jumper, you know, this athlete has a bad shoulder, they have to do these extra things. But the idea that we can bring more science and physiology into it and have a deeper understanding of what the individual athlete needs really allows us to make more increases. So, Sophie Bukovic. She's the one I was mentioning earlier. She's a female beach volleyball player, three-time NCAA champion champion at USC for beach volleyball, U21 beach world champion. We were able to, so at this point in her career, we were able to increase her spike touch by four inches, which is absolutely huge. She's already touched. She was already touching like 10-3, 10-4. So to make another, like that boost is very, very significant but we would have never done that if I didn't understand what type of jumper she was, what she responded to the best. So I think those variables are critically critically important. The other important thing that Sophie made an example of when um, she played at USC and in club volleyball, because she was so good, she's always forced to play all year round. So say when she was in high school, she played club volleyball, school volleyball, provincial team, national team, all this stuff. She's always playing for a full year. And what happens is she would try to find small spots to do her physical training, but you cannot move your needle and make such a great improvement unless you have more time off. So this is really Sophie's first year where she actually took a few months off. And then at that point, having that time off, three months away from volleyball, she's never had, all of a sudden she sees the results improve so much, right? So sometimes athletes are like, you know, I got some time off for my club team or my high school team. I'm gonna get more reps, more reps, more reps, more volleyball reps. Guess what? You know what's gonna make you a better attacker? It's not always just attacking more balls, but you increasing your vertical by three inches will make a much more significant difference. So while you're working on the reps, Someone else might be in the gym or oh, working you and you're going to see a greater improvement than you did on your attacking just simply because they chose better things to work on. Right. So I, I think, I think that's a very important thing, especially with the younger, younger athletes. Like I love to see the younger athletes playing a ton of sports. I don't want to see them playing volleyball more than eight months a year, especially when they're young, like 14 yeah. and younger, like, Don't play a sport more than eight months a year, less than that at other sports to fill in the gap. When you get older and you start specializing, you still need an off-season. I need to preach this. I don't know what it's like, if it's as bad in the United States as it's here, but club volleyball and high school volleyball overlap. Provincial team programs, strength programs, this program, that program. These kids are walking zombies. They need someone to balance out and manage what they're doing, right? And so a big thing that I think for many levels is give these kids an off-season. Let them do something else. Let them focus on their weight training. For me, the off season is important because when I get in the off season, I would just be like, I'm so hungry to come back and I'm going to come back harder, right? It was also a time for me to, I I really love the off season to get my physical training in and I love that space. So getting them away from the volleyball stimulus, I think is extremely important. I think another thing to say, another major mistake that I did is that when I was younger, I saw such significant improvement from strength training that I ended up overdoing it in the long run. I didn't get injured. But one off-season, I had a little longer off-season, I put on about 15 pounds of lean functional muscle mass. I was like ripped, shredded, every like muscle fiber. I was feeling good, I was jumping super high, but I was stiff and unathletic. Like I did not do it right, I just did too much. I trained too hard, I was in that off-season for too long. So what happens is, an athlete will make all these strength improvements, they'll jump higher and higher. you like, I need to get stronger and stronger. But when you get closer to your genetic potential on how strong you can get without obviously using drugs, getting your genetic potential, if you're really searching to get stronger, 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 that's where you're putting all your energy and recovery capacity is to get that little bit stronger that's going to offer no value but affects your recovery, affects your practicing, and it puts you at risk. And I know uh, Martin Reeder, who you, we were talking about earlier, the guy that was, I thought was the most fittest guy on the world tour, he did the same thing, came back one off season, just more jacked tiger woods is a prime example right he started doing those militage workouts and his shoulders got wider it screwed up with his arm swing or, or sorry his golf swing it, you know it's, it's hard to keep the club tighter to your body so you just have to be mindful of those things and that's why so when i got too big and too strong i wasn't working with a coach at that time i needed a coach saying reed the sport isn't weightlifting. the sport is beach volleyball get better at that you know what i mean so I don't know that's where I think coaches sometimes you have an external view of what you're doing is extremely important.
1: And that's where like I know with with my girls um and this is where I make my decision on you know do we go up in weight or you know is the number important is the number not important right now is the movement more important than the number right now is kind of where they're at in their in their training. Um I've got one girl right now who is graduate or Jackie just graduated and she's not going to play in college, but I got her into Olympic weightlifting and, uh, I'm, we'll say more of a hybrid style, um, program and loves it. So now we focus a little bit more on percentages and numbers. And then, you know, when she started making that decision, I'm not going to play in college. Then, you know, we still balanced it with, you know, with season. Do we have them? Do we have tournament this weekend? You know, how heavy can we go? What can we do? And, I think it, it's one of those things, just like you said, it's it's a case-by-case, case and you have to put them with the right program. And for for me, it's – I'm so heavy on the movement. Um, I, I don't care, and I see it a lot in football just because there's so many weightlifting records, or they have a um, – you know, he squatted 500. You know, I want to do 505, or, you know, let's sacrifice our you know thoracic spine just to deadlift something. And I know – I was, I went through, an, I'll call it an ego injury of my QL from trying to lift uh, heavy heavyweight with a trap bar. And it was, I wanted to prove myself I can do it. I, I could do it, but I didn't have to sacrifice my body. And it, from there, it, at a younger age, became more about the movement instead of just saying, well, I can post this number, but this number doesn't get me anything. I'm not being paid to post the number. You know, I'm getting paid to give somebody a service to where it makes them better in what they do. And it's not like even, even with football in the, in, in the combine where they do the uh, 225 bench. I mean, I think it's about the only paid in a sense paid movement that an athletes going to do. Unless you're competing in like world strongman, which yeah. are the zero zero one percent of people in the world. So with, with those athletes, you know, they'll look at me like, oh, you know, I'm not, you know, she's squatting 135, I'm, I'm only squatting 85 and I said, okay, well, you know, are, are you going below parallel, you know, are your knees out, are do you have good chest position, or is your core, you know, tightened, and she goes, well, yeah, I'm, I'm checking off all those and I said, so then why do you need to focus on her? I said, if, if you're moving efficiently and you're accelerating from the bottom up, and we're going through these movements, and you're mobile and functional to the right parameters, then that's all we're trying to get at right now. You will get stronger, and by that happening, as long as you said, kind of like you, we have to stay in that in that balance between speed and strength, you know, as as long as we're staying along those parameters, it's going to happen. But you have to have the patience and accept the process because I know I I love getting the question. I made comments about this before. I love getting this question and I hate it at the same time is I want to play in college and it's usually by those 14, 15 year olds, 16 year olds that are like, okay, I can see myself doing it. And you know, you go through this almost, it's not like a rehearsed speech that coaches have, but it's kind of, okay, that's a loaded statement. Just we, we, this is now become instead of a one, two month thing, is now become a two to three, four year venture. And it's, okay, you you still have your time off, but there's no walking away from the gym anymore. There's there's still rest from, you know, there's still rest periods in the gym. There's still rest, just like you said, an off season from volleyball, but this is now a mental commitment. And if we can't stay in it, then that statement just falls on deaf ears. Mm-hmm.
0: 100%. I think you actually said the most important thing about training and that's consistency. It's the, the most important thing by far. Like, you go really hard at it for three weeks, but then if you take six weeks off or off afterwards, you haven't moved forward at all. Right. And so I can say, like, when I was competing at my high level, I never stopped training. I was always training. Like, when I was in season, maybe only training two or three times a week and they're short sessions. You know, I'd lift, you know, heavy, but, you know, I wouldn't do many sets. I wouldn't do many reps. I wouldn't have the muscle soreness the next day, but I would stay strong throughout the whole season, right? And so, you know, I'm sure I'd take like maybe two weeks off at some point at the end of the season or something like that, but it's consistency. So I don't know if this is good for the viewers if you got a lot of high school viewers, but when I was in high school, I was so busy that I would skip class in school to go to the gym and lift. And the thing in my school is if you skip class, if you skip so many cl- of that same class, you get a call home that's automatic. So I would have to rotate the class I would skip. So I had a schedule like <laughs> math class, Wednesday is art class, Thursday I'd skip that class. So I beat the system so I wasn't getting those calls. But for me, that was that was my hustle, man. Like I was so busy. I'm like, yo, I'm gonna find ways to put in work. And I think COVID-19, and I know this because I have a lot of clients online now that I work with. It exposes a lot of athletes. Some athletes during COVID-19 take two steps forward and some take two to five steps back. And what I mean by that is that athletes that are highly motivated, they find ways right now to get better. They work out at home, body weight exercise, band resistance. They just figure it out or they contact people where other volleyball players, maybe they're great motiv- or great volleyball players, but they don't have that motivation, they'll find ways to do nothing. Because right now with COVID-19, or at least what's going on, they're not playing any volleyball. They can make their biggest physical changes right now, right? So those athletes that get after it take two steps forward. Those athletes that do nothing take two to five steps back. You get in the game, these athletes are rusty, you're rusty, but you're the way physical level, you've moved ahead of them, right? And I've really seen it like with our university athletes that are training at home, some of them have no equipment, some just have resistance bands, some have dumbbells. They're making huge improvements right now. Like, we are getting after it. a big chunk. Even when I was a professional volleyball player, I would have a red resistance band, that loopy band. That's all I would have traveling. I'm getting workouts in with that thing and my body weight all the time, and I can move the needle. You have to be creative. I mean, it helps with coaching to have proper guidance. I'm just saying, like, COVID 19 exposes athletes and how bad you want it. If this was me as an athlete, like, say, I was 16 right now, it's COVID 19. I would have that big broken orange ball in my hand all the time, playing on my skills, training, doing something. Like you know what I mean? Like visualizing. It's just it really comes down to like how bad deep inside of you that you want it. And so I think COVID nineteen brings it out to some athletes, and some of it just gets like sunk right down. The, the phone too much and <laughs> to shut off on you. Like, you need to get pumped up. So uh, yeah, that was cool.
1: about an hour on the live. It's all good. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't want to stop it because we, 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 we've been going on a lot of good stuff. Um, but, but, yeah, it's, I, I have definitely seen what you're talking about with, with athletes that, you know, I've, I've written daily workouts or I've written, you know, here's your weekly goal. And you, you have those athletes that will send you video of what they're doing. And then you have those athletes that you never hear from again and half the time i found those are the ones who who are crying for it all the time and then when they finally get it and they go oh god these, these, this is a lot of stuff when you know for me and you it's kind of like okay it's another day like it's another day to get better and what do i have to do to do that for some of them it's now it's like you said it's on the, it's on their it's on themselves so it gets very difficult you know how accountable are you And sometimes, you know, their phone, their phone's more valuable than anything. And when all you got to do is just put music on, like, if you got to have your phone, put music on, you know, attach it. There's plenty of adapters attached to the TV, play a show or something while you're doing your workout. And half the time you can do your workout while facing the TV. If you need that connection for whatever reason. And I know I was lucky to have equipment in my house, but Just like you said, I mean, I've got I've got bands hanging on the door outside of my office right here. That of all different resistances. uh, I mean, all you need half the time. Maybe you just need a couple tennis balls to work on hand eye coordination. If that's all you can do, that's all you can do. Do it. Get really good at it. And I've seen plenty of people now um, with just you say get extremely extremely creative with what they do, and it's helped me to now go okay, what can I, what can I try and find? And it's not trying to reinvent the wheel, but it's, okay, let's start looking at this from a different perspective than what I've been looking at it for eight, nine, 10 years and go, all right, well, they've been doing that. I like that approach. How do I adapt that to what I'm doing? Maybe tennis is doing something, a tennis athlete's doing something that I can do better or that I can do in general or you have a football player, or even a sport that has nothing to do with some hand-eye coordination, at least in the way in the way of volleyball. And you're like, okay, what can I do to adapt it, and how can I kind of help them? And it's not always about getting that edge in training, but how can I expose them to something else that maybe an additional scale outside of their spectrum can actually bring awareness to them in their sport, to where it does give them a little bit more of a uh, a mental aspect to their
0: to their skill. No,
1: 100%. I, I love what you're saying is like
0: diversify what they're doing, right? Like people get bored of doing the same things. Your body often learns how to adapt doing the same thing. That's why, like when I was at university, when I was playing indoor volleyball at university, season end, take a little break, oh, basketball time. I'm playing pickup basketball a few days a week. I'm not thinking about volleyball. I'm working on some different athletic attributes and skills. You know what I mean? You're working on different coordination, different types of things. Yeah, I've been seeing like, because it's funny right now, we're strength coaches and volleyball coaches, but strength coaches right now have had to get extremely creative with the way that they program for athletes and moving outside their facility. But I also think, people are going the side of getting really gimmicky out there, which is we, we live in a bad field where people have access to you're talking but they're on their phone, they're on social media. So they're getting bombarded by advertisements, this tutorial, that tutorial. And it's really hard to figure out what is good and what is bad. It's really confusing for them. And it's very, very difficult. You really see it in the diet industry. Should I be paleo? Should I be keto? Should I be carnivore? <laughs> like whatever, like, listen, like, those diets work sometimes because you consume less calories than you're putting in your body. Like, you know what I mean? You're burning more calories than you're putting in, or like they do a diet and they're like, it works so well. It's because you eliminated something that was causing you harm, right? You're eating something that you were allergic to or something like that. You just eliminated that, right? So it gets really, really confusing in the training space and strength coaches are trying to make more and more media attention around them because they're transitioning from their facility to online. So they're doing this gimmicky jumping driller, that gimmicky jumping driller, this exerciser, that exercise. For the majority of athletes, what's going to take you to the highest level is getting really, really good at the basics. Be really good at trap bar deadlifting. Be very good at rear fidelity, split squatting. Do a lot of single leg work, right? Those type of things, right? If, if you can do those things, that's what's going to help you move and improve the most. Those sexy exercises that you see are often provide no value, or if they're good in a sexy exercise, it's kind of like the cherry on top of your training, right? You can't build a big house on a weak foundation right you can't put a porsche engine into a honda civic right so focus on the basics and get really really good at that i know some strength coaches that are extremely good strength coaches but they have they do limited amount of things there's only a certain number of exercises they did have they're not don't have all these certifications but they focus on the basics and what do we find those coaches get great results, right? Like those other fancier stuff that, you know, an expert like yourself or myself that are in the volleyball space where we do something more volleyball specific, that's got to be looked at as the cherry on top. That gives it that little extra, right? But 90% of those improvements come from mastering the basics. Yeah.
1: Uh, So we actually just got a question. um, uh, I guess it was going off of my comment about uh, tennis ball. Um, Best techniques to improve hand and eye coordination. Um, I know – Personally, I follow uh, one account. It's uh, Hand Eye Coaches, and they show a lot of different. So, if you guys, who uh, person who, who asked a question, anyone who's interested, um, it's uh, I think it's called Hand Eye Coaches. Um, they actually show a lot of different uh, techniques and stuff for uh, different sports, different style of athletics. Um, I know my favorite. Uh, one, one of my favorites is probably a um, okay. tennis ball drop. And it's usually like a five yard difference and you'll be uh, you and I wish I had that dog. <laughs> uh, it'll be uh, your, your coach is about five yards away from you roughly and they're standing out with their arms straight out to their side. Um, I would say I would prefer you do this on more of a hardwood. That way the ball actually bounces um, and they're dropping from at least shoulder height or they're, they'll toss up slightly. The moment that ball releases off their hand, you go. Or if you want more of a challenge, you wait, and then it bounces. You have at least you have one, maximum two bounces. Um, we'll work a little bit on reaction time. Then you do have your hand-eye coordination in there. But if you want to go solely on hand-eye coordination, I know one of my biggest things is I will use two to three tennis balls at a time and toss uh, maybe 10, 15 feet away, probably about five yards still, and call out the hand. Uh, they have to make that, they have to discern what motion has to go in, and if you want to change things up, get different colored tennis balls, and say there's an orange and a yellow one, or a standard tennis ball, um, if that's green to you, or yellow, uh, and toss and say, okay, orange, right hand, um, you know, green, left hand. Uh, it's I'm not going to say there's a master plan to it and there's not this amazing, you know, drill that works for everybody, but they're just, like you said, it's basics. Like if you yeah. can get really good at discerning your decision-making and picking out what has to be done at the right times, it trains. It, I think it translates into your sport so much better. That way you're, you're cognitively focused in and your eyes aren't in a sense tricking you while you're trying to say, okay, my hands need to come up or my hands need to go out or I need to put one hand out and it's not a mind block.
0: And then we know, like, um, I agree with everything you said and further that like hand eye coordination, like. That's mostly genetic, to be honest. Like, hand eye coordination can be developed in the gym and any little bit you can get. But honestly, most hand eye coordination is mostly genetic. But the other thing that I like to do, I do similar jersey to talk about tossing tennis balls, right? man play ping pong play a different game that involves a lot of hand-eye coordination right because hand-eye coordination sure can be developed in the gym but it's developed a lot more actually on the volleyball court when you're playing if you get good drills for hand-eye coordination and diversify do some other things that aren't volleyball like ping pong i said or squash or other games that involve a lot of hand-eye coordination right and so i, I think that that's really important right i think like For me, that that was one asset I was very good. My hand-eye coordination. I'm good at racket sports, volleyball. Like those those things were part of my competitive advantage, right? And for me, there wasn't ever on my mind like specific training that I was doing with that. And necessarily even with my strength coaches – But you know what happened in practice with the different various different wash drills or defensive drills you do or different attacking drills or once again playing ping pong or whatever it is. So I I think like sometimes you're developing a skill and you kind of look to, well, what are the other sports that are more challenging at that skill? And is there things I can do there and have fun to develop it, right? Because if you can get better at something and have a lot of fun doing it, then that's that's freaking amazing, right? And for me, ping pong is a blast. So, you know, I would have no problem working on that. Yeah.
1: And I, I know one of my, um, I'm a, I'm a phys ed teacher as well. So I, I, on top of strength training, coaching, I'm also teaching in class and I think one of my favorite games to play is handball. I mean, it's ultimate physicality. Before you get to outside and say, play rugby or if like football, you know, for some people who love to body check. Um, but I love handball because you're you're moving and throwing. You're utilizing the top and bottom sometimes in two completely different directions just to stabilize. And you have those kids that you hand them a ball sometimes and you say, I want you to throw it there. And the mechanics and you know, obviously not every kid is athletic, not every athlete is athletic. And I think that's a big misunderstanding for some people is just because someone's really good at volleyball does not mean they know how to throw a baseball doesn't mean they know how to throw a ball some you know, some people don't i mean you watch you know football players and say hey i want you to go play volleyball you know or you throw you know baseball player into tennis maybe the bat swing will help them but they don't understand sometimes that connection in the sport and it's really cool. That's why I love now to – I bring I bring my own equipment into class um, with uh, some of the different drills I'll do in training. I'll have those kids do them just to get them to understand what it's like to move different ways. And it's really cool to add in, like you said, that cherry on top every now and then because I even on – I'll do – and it's something basic, I think, but it helps me – it helps the kids kind of mentally prep for it is I'll do all, we'll say like footwork, agility, speed, and a little bit of uh, power work apply plyometric work on Fridays. And their strength days are Monday, Wednesday. And I did at the end of Friday, I had a uh, passing target in the gym. We're lucky enough. We have a, a high enough ceiling. I've got a passing target in 10, 11 volleyballs and I'll throw them a ball. So, all right, you have to pass through your platform and set the ball in. And once you get your 10 or 11, then we switch. We don't switch until you get out of it. And it's just like you said, that's the cherry on top. That's where it's fun to add everything in.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's what uh, people get confused. Like, oh, I play
0: basketball. So everything I need to do is basketball specific. I play volleyball. So everything needs to be volleyball specific. I think that we're in a position, you and I, because we know volleyball so well, there's a layer that we can add. But it's the the 5%. It's not the 95%. Although there's a lot of improvement that can be made with that 5%, right? It's not for everyone to do, right? It's like you actually have to understand the space, the biomechanics, how the body works, the, the skills associated with volleyball, all that stuff, right? So... One of the things, going back to hand-eye coordination that was coming back to me, a big problem a lot of athletes may, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but say you're a 13 or 14-year-old athlete and you want to develop your reaction time, your hand-eye coordination – motor control, those type of stuff, play a ton of different sports that challenge your bodies in all kinds of different ways. It's those athletes that specialize really early, that don't learn how to diversify their movements or a lot more, are the ones that get really stale later on with those other athletic attributes that you're trying to develop, right? There's a reason, and this this number's going to be very close, but it might not be 100% because I can't remember, but it's something like 75, 80% of NFL players were multi-sport athletes up until like 17 or 18 years old. Like, what does that show? Like, NFL players are some of the best athletes in the world, right? And these athletes are playing all kinds of different sports. So why are these volleyball players forced to play all year round at young ages and to specialize? Here's the other thing that I, people, I don't know if you, you guys refer back to the long-term athlete development model a lot,
1: the LTAD model? A little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, I I like to go with them on the. Uh, I, I I reference because I know I know a lot of them kind of worry about getting really 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 good at the sport young, and I kind of I always reference the the ten thousand hour rule, for yeah. them is you know like you, you guys have to break down two hours a day even if you only practice five days a week it's it's un it's an unforeseen amount of time so just like you said focus on what you need to do right now.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. And what what I was referring with that the LTAD model, it talks a lot about don't have the athletes specialize in one sport early on, like before the age of 15 or 16, 15 or 16 is kind of that cutoff because they show they have evidence-based research how it increases injuries by so much, it affects development and all this type of stuff. So what is happening in volleyball, they're like, okay, so a lot of coaches are encouraging these athletes to play multiple sports, but it wasn't designed that you play volleyball all year round, and then you stack another sport on top, so you're doing volleyball in this other sport. No, it's about balancing out the year play volleyball for six to eight months of the year, play another secondary sport, maybe in a tertiary sport, another one, and balance out the year, right? It's like, um, you know, it's the same thing. It's like if you're in club volleyball season, you're playing basketball at the same time. Well, the chance of overuse injuries are super high because once again, you're jumping in volleyball, you're jumping in basketball. Both, both games, both sports, you're making hard change of direction movements, right? And if you are doing, so in volleyball, this is why a lot of overuse ha- injuries happen. You do more jumps and arm swings than your body is the stu- structural tolerance and strength to withstand, right? So if the muscles in my ankle and my hip and the mobility of my ankle, and my hip and the muscles that support my knee and the tissue, if I do more jumps than the structural tolerance there... You're gonna get jumpers' knee. You're gonna get an overuse injury. It's that simple. That's why you're seeing so much volleyball injuries with like 14-year-old female volleyball players. It's because they're specialized, they're playing all year round, one sport, and they're doing so much of it relative to the strength that they have of their body. You know, although like people are like, oh, you don't wanna to- treat your athletes as they are fragile but tell i'm telling you 14 year old girls volleyball players they're mainly all extremely fragile like you know you put them in the wrong drill that girl's going to twist her ankle you know you put them in the wrong drill it's going to hurt their shoulder you do too much of something they're going to get hurt that's where i'd like to see a lot more strength training with the younger ages and i'm not talking about okay here's a workout i see them posted like i don't know if you're part of a volleyball coach and trainer or facebook it's this massive like coaching for there's 20 plus so you're so- posting their workouts they're doing, they're 13, 14. It's like, you know, we're doing 80 air squats, 100 jumping jacks, 50 sit-ups, 30 push, push-ups. Like, and it's just like, what the hell are you, what are you doing? Stop it. Like, just keep it. Like, planking variation, single leg squat, work on motor pattern and control. It doesn't need to be a rush. Like, for them, their idea of a workout is my athletes have to be sweating so hard. Guess what? Working harder doesn't make better. Better makes better. And my words to them because they fire me up because it's something they step out of their lane. They're not. They're not supposed to be doing this, right? Just pick exercise and get them stronger. Remember doing eighty air squats at fourteen years old—that's not the type of squat. Get them in like a lunge iso hole where they're holding a fixed position. They can use their muscles really well. They feel it under the, the set. Their muscles were really working. Maybe you don't even need to sweat much during the workout. What does, what like, people think about sweating and your heart rate being super high equaling to being a better volleyball player? So I would just like to see it at a younger age, uh, the strength conditioning to get a lot better. And for coaches to not be the jack of all trades and think that they have to make up their workouts, they found some gimmicky YouTube video. Like, listen, no burpees are going to make your kids better at volleyball. Zero burpees. You can make them burpee away. Like, those burpees are not doing anything. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you know no, what I mean? So that's where I, I really think coaches work with younger athletes is outsource get information from an expert and do it properly because all you're doing is increasing injury rates and i will i don't know i i consult with a lot of coaches and plus club coaches so i have to have this talk with them so i'm like if i give it passionate on here maybe some of them are watching maybe they won't make this mistake again because you know what you know what gets under my skin is injuring a lot of young athletes from not doing your due diligence as a coach and developing yourself and becoming educated in those areas or knowing the things that you aren't good at, you know what you do, you outsource it. So like think Russ Rose, the head coach of Penn state, this guy was winning NCAA championship after NCAA championship. This guy was a former football coach. He does certain things really well, but guess what? There's certain things that doesn't know about. So he brings in expert and gets helps and they create the system. That's very, very great. So athletes excel there. I, I work with, um, I trained uh, for a while, Tori Gurell. like coached her both as a volleyball player and her strength conditioning. She was one of the – she was, like, starting middle, and she played right side for them as well. So um, she, I, I got a lot of information back from her. You know what's pretty cool about Penn State that I found about? So she came back – I think it was around Christmas time. I was just working with her for, like, a couple weeks. But <laughs> their coach and their offseason uh, would make them three days a week push sleds at, like, 6 in the morning. But that's not their workout. So you have to get up, get to somewhere at 6 in the morning, push sleds for like 20 minutes. If you push sleds for 20 minutes, it's like the worst thing ever. And then it's done their workouts later on. It's like to stop them from going out at nighttime and doing other things.
1: It's like, you got to get up early and you got to put in work. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I know i just to, just to piggyback off of that with the, uh, the, the gimmicky like workouts and everything. I know now you have, at least around here you have, now you have some of these, um, summer workouts that are gonna be starting up. And I look at some of the things that they post on their Facebook pages or their Instagram accounts, and I sit there and go, okay, well, my biggest problem is probably 85% of those kids, if not more, are not doing the things correctly. And you know they're building that motor pattern to where they are going to do it wrong the one time that their body's not ready, and you know that's gonna be a season-ending injury, or they're gonna be out for a couple months or whatever the case is, you have, just as you said, there. there there's, I, I don't think it's a, it's as much a lack of knowledge as it is a lack of security in themselves to go ask for help. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of those successful people and I mean, I like to consider myself that I consider you that where we go out and we talk and we ask people's opinions and even if we disagree with them or we agree with them, it's about learning and getting more more information. And like I, the, I'm going to reference a talk I had with you some time ago. Um, I called you because I, I, I knew the background you had and I was having issues and I wanted, I wanted a third party that had experience that, I could get information unbiased from someone that was just teaching as if they were teaching me. So it was a lot easier to take that approach rather than, now this goes with regardless of age, status, experience, resume, anything, to just walk into a situation as if you're already the student and you're there to learn. And that other person, you know, I say should and will respect you for that because they want you, they, they want to give their opinion as much as you want it, whenever you walk in with that mindset. No, absolutely. And some
0: of like the mentors or people that that I really look up to, um, they say something common, if you don't look back to what you were doing five years ago, and be like, Oh, what was I doing, then you're not learning enough, because it constantly happens. Like, uh, like Eric Cressy is someone that I work look up to a lot he's like the biggest name in the the strength training space for baseball right and he has been on the on the top for like a long time like 10 15 years and it's the same thing he's like man i can't believe i was doing this and this five years ago although what he was doing was still really good in helping them there's little things you know that you need to take oh i just learned that it's the same thing when i when i work with a university i'm also working with their physical therapist their physiotherapist their head coach their assistant coach and we all have to work together in order to get those athletes better right so an athlete could be on the best program ever and get zero results and be injured a lot because it just didn't fit in with the balance of what they're doing. Right. Um, so it's really important as not only a strength coach, but also as a volleyball coach is to understand what the athletes have on their plate and learn how to balance out their training. Right. There has to be some days where they can just recuperate. Like a big mistake is this, like, so here's this, if, if an athlete practices on Monday, but not Tuesday, often it is better to do strength training on Monday and practice on the same day and then take Tuesday as a recovery versus doing hard practice on Monday and try and do your hard workout on Tuesday because then you don't get your day off, right? There's little things about balancing it out. And everyone's like, well, I don't want them to practice and work on the same day. Well, guess what? Now you have them doing things every single day, right? And now they don't have the ability to recover. So what people don't always understand when it comes to physical training, when I'm in the, the gym and I'm like, grinding it out, I'm working hard. I'm not improving that second when I'm doing those actions. Get my, my muscles actually temporarily, they, they break down. My my performance diminishes a bit, but then when I recover, I get super compensation, I'm even better, right? So if you're not able to figure out that recover, or how to fit it in, um, it's, it's not gonna work. Um, so like, and then there's little things too, like on days off, if there's little recovery things you can have them do, whether that's, you know, mobility exercise or corrective-based exercise. That can speed up the process, right? This is the same reason why bodybuilders take steroids, right? The reason they take steroids is because they can recover faster now. So now they can work so hard in the gym and they recover even faster. They work so hard in the gym. But guess what? You don't get that. The reason they take that jump or the drug is to enhance their recovery. As a volleyball athlete, we don't take drugs because we don't, we don't do that stuff. But you've got to find the other things to enhance your recovery. That's sleep. That's diet, that's nutrition, that's having the odd day off. It's having time away from volleyball. You don't think about volleyball at all. It's meditation. And I didn't learn this. Like when I was in high school and in university, I was in overdrive all the time. And it's like, it was bad. And one of the things that I think is really bad that athletes do that I I did a lot is, I would take like pre-workout or a lot of caffeine drills. So like I would have to get freaking amped up. So my zone of optimal functioning is being as jacked up as possible. Like I, I'm like someone that really needs to be stimulated. So what I would do is I would take like some sort of energy drink or pre-workout before before I would compete, right? Every time before I would compete. And what would happen is you get sensitized to that. And if I'm not having those caffeinated drinks or the caffeine drinks before, I can't perform. Funny thing. One of, which one of my first international tournaments I was playing in Switzerland for beach volleyball. Um, it was like one of their like national tour events with like the top eight teams and they allowed two international teams and we're one of the teams that come in. I think I'm like, 20 at the time so i'm i'm young 20 21, i don't know but the the event is sponsored by red bull right the tournament's right in the heart of basel which is one of their major cities so it's like a man-made court with a big stadium the stadium's like full all their locals everyone around is completely full so it's sponsored by red bull i chug a red bull i go out there and i'm like look at all those fans i'm all like jacked up on caffeine and man i can tell i was getting served that game and it was just like deflecting, just shanking ball after ball after ball. And I'm like, what did I just do to myself? You know what I mean? So I think uh, that's a mistake I make. And I think a lot of volleyball players are still obviously doing this. Now, to have caffeine, caffeine is shown to improve in performance, right? And so a lot of sports, a lot of athletes use caffeine. It's one of the drugs that are highly studied and show improvements, right? So if you're someone that takes caffeine, you just can't do it every time you play. You have to pick and choose. and You've got to understand and know your body, right? And so that takes a long time to learn, which I I didn't learn that until like way later in my career until after I was done. So I don't know, something important there.
1: So, um, what I'm going to do is I, um, I'm going to cut it right there. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm definitely, we're definitely going to have a, um, a, a second time for sure. Uh, because I've got more questions for you. Um, and I'm sure cause I've gotten a lot of questions throughout this. Um, sorry if I didn't get to them. Uh, we'll definitely get to them next time. Um, but what are your parting words? for anyone watching uh, within volleyball or athletics or strength conditioning?
0: I don't know what my parting words are. I think just focus on getting stronger and know your body. If you feel pain when you're doing a movement and exercise in the gym, stop doing the movement. That pain signal is your body telling you to stop doing it. And if you just keep pushing through, it's gonna delay recovery. So work hard, get strong, take days off, make sure you recover, and most importantly, Sleep at night. Sleep is like the number one recovery tool. Stop looking at your phone or your computer screen an hour and a half before bed. Make sure you're not eating a massive meal before bed and sleep in a really dark place. So focus on your recovery. Get stronger. Don't push through pain. You do those things. You're doing all right. Sure.
1: Well, I appreciate it, uh, Um It was an honor. Thank you so much. Um, I will talk to you soon about a part two for sure. Um, all right.
0: Because... He's- wants on here as the outro. Winston, get in here, buddy. Uh, Your time to shine, buddy.
1: There we go. And we're out. All right. I'll see you later. Bye, Winston.